Well, good morning. Thank you for joining with us. Uh, we are continuing our study of this wonderful prayer of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17. We're looking at verse 13 down to verse 19. The Scottish reformer John Knox, during his final days battling with illness, lying upon his deathbed, he asked his wife to read to him every day John chapter 17. This passage had been instrumental in his conversion and Knox described it as the place where he cast his first anchor. That anchor held secure and even facing death, Knox found comfort, assurance and strength from the words of Jesus here in John chapter 17. We are undoubtedly living in times of great uncertainty. People are facing difficult days, days of pressure, days of anxiety, days of isolation for some. There is an old hymn that asks the question, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? And this morning, I I want you to ask yourself the question, where is my life anchored? For some, they have anchored their life perhaps in a career path or in a financial plan. And they have seen that crumble in 2020. For others, they have anchored their life on their health. And they now find themselves living in a global pandemic. For many, the unprecedented events of this year have destroyed the anchors that they had seemingly secured their life upon. How good then this morning to focus on this prayer of Jesus and for every believer in Jesus Christ to know with assurance that their soul is firmly anchored by the prayer of Jesus here. Jesus effectively prays his people home to heaven. He prays in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, be with me where I am. What makes this prayer all the more remarkable is that as Jesus prays it, he himself is facing his darkest hour. The cross awaits, his betrayal, his arrest, the injustices of those many false trials, the scourging, And that shameful and agonizing death as Jesus bears our sin upon the cross. It is all just hours away. And Jesus prays for his people. He prays for his church. And in this prayer, we are given an amazing insight into the the deepest desire of Jesus' heart. That as he faces the cross, his greatest longing is for the glory of God. Everything Jesus prays for here, as he prays for himself, for his people, for his church, it is all founded on it being for the glory of God, that the glory of God might be put on display through the gospel. That was Jesus' chief desire, his greatest 
longing. What is your chief desire in life? What is your greatest longing? J.C. Ryle, the, the former Bishop of Liverpool, commenting on this passage, he says that what the Lord Jesus asks for his people, his people should ask for themselves. In other words, our desires should be his desires. Just listen to how Jesus describes his people in this prayer. He uses the same description twice over. First in verse 14, Jesus says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Again, he repeats this in verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is the essence of the Christian life. Jesus says, they are just as I am. In verse 6 last week, we saw that we have been taken out of the world by the Father and given to Christ. We have been placed in Christ. We are not of the world. Christians are different. Christians are distinct. And we should live lives that are distinct. We have been brought into an unbreakable union with Christ. And so as his people, we find ourselves in this wonderful, blessed position this morning that we are just as he is. We are out of the world and in Christ. Therefore, our desires should be his desires. And our greatest longing should be Christ's greatest longing. And is that the case? Is my greatest longing that my life should put on, should put God's glory on display? This shouldn't be a side issue in my life. It shouldn't be a secondary matter. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So too the ultimate purpose of Christ's church. And the purpose of the church here in Hebron. It is to put the glory of God on display. Three times over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reminds us that this is the purpose of the church. That it is to be to the praise of his glory. So how are we getting on with that in our lives? How do we live in such a way that puts God's glory on display? Well, this is what Jesus prays for his people in this little section in verses 13 down to 19. He prays for two specific things. And each request is prefaced by the same description of his people. First in verse 14, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Now Jesus makes his first request in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here Jesus prays for the protection of his church, the protection of his people. 
Again, in verse 16, Jesus then repeats that same phrase. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now in verse 17, he makes his second request. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Here Jesus prays for their purity. That his people will continue to live progressively pure and holy lives. So in this little section, Jesus prays for the protection and purity of his people, the church. Now let's back up to verse 13. Here Jesus mentions for the second time in this prayer that he is coming to the Father. You know, his focus is already beyond the cross. His focus is is even beyond his resurrection. He is focused on returning home to heaven, to the Father. This will mean, though, that he is leaving his people. But Jesus said back in chapter 16, it is better for you that I go. Why? Well, number one, Jesus said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He will come and live within you. He will teach you all things. And then secondly, Jesus' focus in heaven will be on watching over his people as their great high priest, as their intercessor and their advocate. In heaven right now, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Hebrews chapter 7 reminds us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. We have a representative in heaven watching over us, praying for us. One who understands our every need and knows our deepest fears and longings. It is Jesus himself, our great high priest. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 13. He says, and these things I speak in the world. I take it he is referring here to the promises that he has just given his disciples in chapters 14 through to 16. And through these promises, Jesus says, they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Just think, Jesus is facing his darkest hour and he speaks about his joy. Hebrews 12 reminds us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You know, there is that future aspect to the joy of Christ. And we too share will share in that future joy. Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. But there is also a present reality to the joy of Christ. And it is a joy that is not determined by our circumstances. It is not a light joy that is only experienced when things are going well in life. But even in the darkest moments of life, this is a joy that brings light 
and strength. That's why Paul, when he was in prison, in chains, he could write a letter that was all about the theme of joy. His joy in Jesus Christ. His joy was rooted in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it is too for his people. My joy, Jesus, gives to us. We need this joy. Because look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. This world is a hostile place for Christians. It hated Christ. It hated Christ because he exposed the evil works of the world. That's what Jesus said back in chapter 7. And it hates his followers Because they are not of the world. Because Christians live lives that put the glory of God on display for all to see and the world hates them for it. So how do Christians, living in a world that hates them and opposes God's truth, how do Christians live lives that put God's glory on display? Well, firstly, Jesus prays for our protection. He prays for our spiritual protection in verse 15. Listen to what he he doesn't pray for. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. You know, the answer is not for Christians to avoid the hostility of the world or to be removed from the world. We are to expect Hostility. Christians are not to live in splendid isolation either. We are instructed to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. No, Jesus says, don't take them out of the world. Jesus asks the Father to keep them. From the evil one. You know this world is full of temptation for the Christian. And Satan the evil one is so so seductive. And he is so so active. And he wants nothing more than to lure Christians into temptation. And to prevent them from living a holy life. This is an ongoing spiritual battle that every Christian faces. A battle for our minds and for our hearts. And we need spiritual protection. We need spiritual strength. Back in verse 11, Jesus prayed, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them and not one of them has been lost. Except Judas, the son of destruction. You know, Judas loved money more than Jesus. He anchored his life in the love of money. He opened his life up to Satan. And he was not prepared to put Jesus Christ first. What about you this morning? Where is your life Anchored. There is only one place to securely anchor your life, and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus prayed for the spiritual protection of his people. And we need to pray for the same things for ourselves that Jesus prayed for here. We need to pray for spiritual protection for ourselves, for our families, for our children, for our marriages, for our church, for its leaders, for its staff. We need God's spiritual protection. Jesus also prayed, secondly, for the purity of his people. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What does this mean? You know, sanctification is one of those big, scary Bible words. What does it mean? Well, it simply means to set apart, to set something apart for a specific purpose. God has separated his people from the world. He has given us to Christ. He has set us apart from the world and set us apart for himself. And we are to be distinct. We are to be different. God's people should live increasingly holy lives. And sanctification is that ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ day by day. Paul says we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How is this achieved? Well, it's by the word. By clinging to God's word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's God's word that teaches us how to live in the world. By submitting to God's word. It's God's word that teaches us how to live holy lives. It is through that continual washing of the word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Teaching us all things. Revealing the things of Christ to us. And you have a responsibility Christian. To soak your life in the word. And to submit to it. And we have a responsibility to each other. To share God's word. To help each other grow in Christ. This has been the theme of our our home groups these past six weeks. Discipling one another. Helping each other grow through sharing the word. Who am I growing in Christ? Who am I helping to grow and to develop? It's also part of the church's ministry. To teach and bring God's word to bear on our lives. To help each one along that journey of progressively becoming more like Jesus Christ. Now why is our sanctification important? Well just look at verse 18. It's integral to the mission of the church. Jesus says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. You know to be effective in mission. You need to be living a holy life. Now the wonderful thing about this prayer is that we know it has been answered. Jesus himself, as he prayed it, knew that it would be answered. Just look at verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. The very fact that we are here today, that Christians are gathering all over the world today, is testament to the power of Christ's prayer here. Just think that from a handful of disciples in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, to the global church such that it is now. But there are echoes here of the Great Commission. You know, make disciples of all nations, said Jesus. And all of us have been sent into the world. Into a hostile world. And Christ's prayer is for his people to live increasingly holy lives. Under the spiritual protection of God. And for his people to put God's glory on display. Is that my chief desire? Is that the longing of the church here in Hebron? It should be. It was and is Christ's. Just look at verse 19 as we close. Does this not tell us how much this means to Jesus? He says in verse 19, for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself. I am setting myself apart as as their great high priest for this very purpose, that my people may be sanctified in truth. And in setting himself apart, It would mean that Jesus would become the sacrifice himself. It would mean Jesus entering the presence of God with his own blood. To set himself apart as his people's great high priest. What a truth. What a prayer. What a saviour. Well might we quote that great hymn as we close. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. May God bless you. May your life be anchored in the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. God bless.